Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now, The Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we're talking to Jim Melka. He's the assistant coordinator for the Mars section of the ALPO. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Oh, thanks, Tim. Well, I'd like to be here. Great. Uh, before we get started, why don't you give everybody a little bit of information about yourself? Okay. Uh, well, as far as the job goes, I'm I'm retired. And uh, Lucky you. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, okay, as as far as Mars goes and my interest there, that started back in 1971. It goes way back. And uh, a fellow, an amateur astronomer that I was friends with, was at a local astronomy club. He was a member of ALPO, okay? And then uh, he, uh, he encouraged me to take pictures of Jupiter with uh, Mars with my 8-inch telescope he had a 10 inch newtonian i have an 8 inch okay okay so he bought this 100 foot roll of um, one of the predecessors to um, TechPan, that fine grain black and white red sensitive film film and see that film. film what's film <laughs> doing, yeah. right and so um 
I had I had tried to do some visual observing, but really couldn't see much. I mean, well, that has to do with the uh, general seeing conditions here in the Midwest. Uh, very seldom do we get seeing like on a six or a seven out of ten scale. It's usually two or three. You know, whereabouts so, in the country about, are you located? Okay, it's pretty much central, right? Right in St. Louis area. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, suburbs of St. Louis, Chesterfield. Uh, at any rate, um, so he invited me to try some of his film. He, what he did, he rolled he rolled the film uh, into thirty six exposure canisters. You know the typical mm-hmm. what you use then. And so, um, and then I was spoiled. I mean, I, all I had to do was take pictures and then get the get the roll to him, and then he would he would he would develop it. So it's good. But at any rate, so I was taking pictures uh, and I've thought to myself well, look at that I can really see stuff now I mean I, it's not uh, kind of a blur and stuff it, see it was red sensitive so it penetrated the atmosphere mm-hmm. there and it was good for here on earth too it's penetrating our atmosphere well so um, okay so anyway we were going on and, and then um, one night well I had sent him some film he called me and said, "Hey, Jim, one of your pictures uh, looks like a, a, a large dust storm. A large dust cloud was visible there, and turned out in the Noachus region. And um, yeah, I said, well, that's neat. So he had taken a picture of Mars, this very about the same central meridian, two days earlier. And so his his image didn't show any dust, but you know, mine started in it." start uh, uh, the initial dust cloud but uh, okay and then so as it turns out I, I may have been the first one to image one of the initial clouds the very initial clouds of course started in good old Hellas mm-hmm. Hellas is the dustiest place on Mars and they, they better not land there <laughs> it's, it's got its weather and it'd be miserable well anyway so so I was hooked. I thought, man, I can I'll just do this. I, I won't observe visually. You know, I, I can, I can Shame play on with you. That's kind of how it started. And then, so then it carried on. Um, then I got my own film, The Next Apparition, 1973. And, um, and I was thinking, oh, boy, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of pictures of of the surface, you know, because I didn't get a whole lot in 71 because the storm came up. Well, anyway, I got about a run rotation's worth, and then I didn't know it at the time. We don't have no internet then, but um, the first dust clouds for the 1973 uh, planet-wide dust storm started around in Solus Lacus, and but I, I, I didn't know about it. Well, anyway, I took pictures, four consecutive nights pictures, and uh, first night, Hellas was clear, Syracuse Major was clear, everything's good. Uh, then the next night, it, it all went to pot, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, because the dust all of a sudden spread over Hellas and Syracuse Major, and, and you could see from night to night that it was the eastward progress it was making. You know, 
I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. That an amateur with an eight-inch telescope can, but can follow the dust dust clouds on Mars. You know? That's pretty wild. That, that's pretty. Wild. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so, how did you get involved with the ALP? Was that was that what got you into it, or? Well, <clears throat> no, I didn't join the ALPO right away. Um, I guess uh, after '73, the apparitions were uh, aphelic, and and so the diameter of Mars at, at opposition was kind of small for mm-hmm. a. I got into raising a family, and um, so uh, I guess I really didn't get fully into it until the, about the year before I retired, and, uh, and that was 2003, and so I joined then, and so uh, I've been a member since, and then I guess it was three or four years after that, uh, you know, I was invited to, or, or asked if I'd be interested in being a, an assistant coordinator for the Mars section, and uh, they said what, what I would be is... I would, I would uh, have to manage a, a web page uh, on the uh, for like dust storm alerts and uh, well highlights, and that's really what it's become more or less. It's more of a highlights of of, of the of, of a given apparition, and um, so that that that's my main task as well. But and then I I. Uh, you know, I, I uh, communicate with the people that that join the, the Mars Observers email e, e group, and so uh, I, you know, I try to help understand what they're imaging. A lot of them don't don't know. You know, they're just trying to get the best image they could. That's like I was when I started. Yeah, it's yeah. it sounds like. Mars was a thing years ago that got you into astronomy, and it's yeah. the love for the planet has just carried on into working with the ALPO. Exactly. That's great. That's great. What type of instruments do you have right now? Okay. Um, well, for quite a while there, I had a, um, after I graduated from an 8-inch, I went to a 12-inch uh, F5 Newtonian, and it, it, it's, it, it does fine. It does fine, but then... Uh, in 2011, I bought a, a used um, new next generation telescope, NGT 18, an 18 inch f4.5. So that's that's what I use now. Um, and but you, you know that and it, and what it does, the more aperture you have, the more uh, depth you have as far as gray shapes and that from black to white. You know it. Uh, you, and so you could discern subtle shadings on the planet's uh, mm-hmm. And that's really critical with Mars because it's it's just shades, really, that you're seeing, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's right. It, uh, but they, they've... Um, I had, in fact, in 19... In 19 uh, I'm sorry, in 2003, I was using a, a digital single-lens reflex camera. And so I, I would take pictures... Like once every two seconds, you know, that was the fastest I could go. Hmm. But it, but using that uh, twelve inch, you know, I'd have actually have to 
um, magnify the image so it would cover a good portion of the frame, um, like to f one hundred, you know, and that. And, but but I did I did get good seeing, so it worked. And um, but then I but then when I joined the um, Mars Observer E Group, then I uh, I found out about the streaming video cameras that right they, right the TOU cams that people were using, and, and so then I switched to that the next uh, apparition. Yeah, Mars is yeah, Mars. interesting because it it's limited in really a short amount of time where you can the image is large enough, the planet's large enough, it has to be near opposition basically. Otherwise, you know, not like Jupiter or Saturn because they're just larger planets that you can see more detail throughout the year. But with Mars, you really got to wait for those short periods too. You know, when I was uh, using film, I it would seem like. Mars had to be 10 seconds of arc or greater in diameter to, to get reasonable results. But now, I'm, you know, the cameras are so advanced. That's true. The That's pic- true. picture element sizes are small. And, uh, well, you can you can use a monochrome or a, or a single-shot color type. Or, but, uh, yes, the, but now the, since the resolution is really incredible, Increased with the sensors of these uh, cameras, uh, I've had there 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 are people that were sending still sending in images uh, when it was like four and a half seconds of arc. Oh my goodness! Uh, I know. As a, I, I'm I'm specifically a visual observer, so at that point I'm not looking at Mars because yeah, there, there isn't really much to see for me. Yeah, that's right. So, give me an overview of the Mars section. What type of observations and programs do you have there? Well, primarily what it is, and what we strive to achieve, is is a, a Mars um, observer's patrol of the planet from, from from the start of the apparition to the end. And in other words, we want to. Uh, obtain observations. Now these observations can be visual with drawings. You know, there's still I hate to say it. Well, it's just about a handful that still make drawings. Mm-hmm. But um, the others, uh, you know, with with the imaging and that, it. Uh, I guess so. Let's see. We are. Let's see. There's about 150. Uh, observers uh, worldwide that post images of Mars. Okay, to the Mars section. Well, no, to there are others. There are other outfits out there that that they can post their stuff. So, um, but we have it's uh, about thirty to forty um, observers that uh, that post stuff with our. Mars E group, and uh, that's where it stands right now. Okay, and you talk, you've talked about the E group a couple of times. What is that? Is that the Yahoo site or that's Yahoo? That's the Yahoo uh, uh, site. Yes. Okay, I will put a link to that in the show notes so people that are interested in looking at Mars observations can go to that. That would be good. Yeah, that's good. And um, if um, see now, okay, so so I've been so I did these uh, these highlight 
pages for every apparition. So you can there there's a link on if you get to the Mars section, then you just click on the link um, Mars uh, observing alerts and highlights, and it'll take you to the current apparition. Okay. Okay. Then in the in the side panel, it'll have years prior to, to the current one, and you can see what was going on then. And I try to always, I don't just post images the way they're sent. I, I would usually make a, a grouping of images to try to show a change that's taking place over four or five days, and, or something's happening, and, and uh, that's really what we want. We want to see changes in weather. That's that's one of the prime goals, uh, and and so that's that's our. Let's see, I guess that's it. Yeah. Okay. Now, if okay, someone so. wants to contribute to the Mars section, uh, what type of telescope or equipment do you suggest to get involved? Well, uh, it's, it's it can be a, a Newtonian reflector. It can be a Cassegrain reflector. Uh, and then, ref- uh, ref- like I would say, maybe a four-inch or greater aperture refractor. Um, those those are the top common ones. I mean, that, that, those, that's what's really available, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. And visual observations are also the drawings are also accepted for the section as well. Oh sure. Okay. Definitely. And um, yeah, they they've shown interesting stuff too. Great. Great. And you said you currently have about, what, 40, 30 to 40 contributors to the Mars section? That's right. That's right. And, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now, I, I know I know when I joined the ALPO back in the 70s, it, w- it had a who's who of planetary observers in that group. I mean, we had Chick Capon and Don Parker and Jeff Beach and people like that. The Mars section has always been, I think, the focal point for the ALPO, really, for planetary observing and in what type of significant discoveries can you talk I mean you talk about seeing the dust storms on Hellas and things like that what other type of dis- significant discoveries has the ALPO contributed to yeah that, that's a good question uh, and, and uh, let's see I could start with um, the North Polar Cap in winter um, what happens well what happens during winter there uh, uh, CO2 ice cap forms and it's, it's actually a slab of transparent ice now I got that or we got that information from professional sources you know, that, that were using data from uh, the um, satellites there and so but then because yeah, all you yeah, it always seemed peculiar that you couldn't see the polar cap during winter. I mean, that's when. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's well, then, but then what happens in very, very late winter? All of a sudden, you'll see white, uh, partially partial rings covering the polar region. We call it the lifesaver effect. Now apparently there it's 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 uh, water water ice or snow like that's starting to accumulate on top of the CO2, and so and then and then as spring goes on, 
the polar cap fills in and is completely, you know, filled with with bright ice. Hmm. So that's one of the things we found. And um, we, regarding snow, we uh, we found evidence that of snow in the form of rings of very bright areas on the ground after the passage of of uh, cyclones. Okay, so it's like a low pressure storm area. Okay, and and all of a sudden it that area becomes white, and uh, that that wasn't. I mean, it becomes brighter than it was before the, the cyclone went over, and so we can assume, you know, that that's that's ice, water ice of some kind. Um, Let's see the. Let's see. Okay, and then we've um, we've measured for the first time movements of storms and cyclones on the North Polar Cap, and uh, we can use uh, tools like wind juposts to make accurate measurements of the latitude and longitude of of, of a feature, and so this. This gives us a way to measure the rates of movements of, of the dust cores and, and of, of dust storms also. Um, we found that the south polar hood forms near the start of southern autumn. Uh, in the past, it was thought to be detectable only during southern winter. And um, another interesting thing, and, and here... There were two two people taking images of Mars, and they were so they were so good. Well, one was, one person was in South Africa, and the other was in Australia. And so when when they were imaging, like Mars was probably overhead almost, you know. Mm-hmm. So they, they were enjoying great seeing. Well, that's fine because um, I think for the first time, at least for my perspective um, we saw the um, uh, seasonal south polar cap the edge of the the northern edge regions of the of the south polar cap which is and that's that's a co2 and that's kind of interesting because like I said this the co2 cap on the north polar regions is transparent but this this was had a gray you know, and that's another thing. See, you you take um, we take use filters, red filter, green filter, blue filter, and then combine those for for a full color image. But then, so but with that, I mean, like I said, uh, people are using. I guess maybe the you know what the first the, probably the uh, usual telescope or the one that's used the most for Mars. Are uh, Celestron 14s? Really? Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that wins hands down. Huh. Huh. At any rate, um, so you know, being able to see that, I missed it at first. I was so when I went back to to um, look for something else, I said, "Wait a minute, look at that." Yeah. <laughs> at any rate, the, the the experts, the professionals, say that, that the CO2 cap. Uh, its furthest northern extent would 
cover about half of Hellas. Good old Hellas is a, is a good measuring rod. And so, in other words, at the max, half of Hellas would be this gray, and the, the other half would be whatever it would be. Well, when these fellas, these two people, uh, imaged, the cap, or the edge of the, that cap, covered uh, one-fourth, the, the, the southern one-fourth of Hellas. So, so sublimation was taking place. The, the change of from uh, from ice to gas was cha- taking place, and that's sublimation. It goes from, directly from uh, ice to gas. And um, now, with sublimation, uh, sublimation, there's there's a temperature gradient there that causes high winds when that happens. And uh, so, right at about that, you know, when we first started seeing um, dust clouds in in Hellas there, at about the same time the pictures were taken of the, of the cap, um, this was an indication that that straight line winds from the sublimation process were were uh, you know driving dust clouds, and uh, so it was you know I, I don't know with film and that I don't know if we'd have seen any of this, <laughs> and, but it, the you know it's like it's so precision now the um, the cameras and that and and then we have. And then you, you use imaging, image enhancing programs to maybe bring bring out certain details. Yeah, there's stacking images now and things like that, which bring out even more detail. Yes, that's right. So those uh, there's some other things, but uh, yeah. well, needless to say, the Mars section has contributed a lot <laughs> to to our understanding of the red planet, and 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 in saying that. I assume there's been quite a bit amateur and professional collaboration over the years. Well, there um, actually, well, I think there there has been some of that, but but I I haven't seen it. I mean, okay, okay, you know, I just from my experience, I you know, there's, I I don't submit observations to any professionals. So the, the observations you mentioned, the Yahoo um, news group, where some of the observations are published, where else are the Mars observations published? Oh well, okay. Um, there, there, there's a, a large group, of, uh, a large database there, uh, of Alpo Japan, and uh, that that is that is probably. Most popular. Who runs well, that group? Well, there's two or three um, men uh, from Japan. Because I have, I've been trying to get a hold yep. of them because quite a few sections have talked about ALPO Japan, and I've sent I've sent the group emails trying to get someone on to talk to me about it because that's they have a wealth of information on that site. Okay, well, if you um, let me see. I think just go to the Mars section, and uh, I think there'll be a link over on the right panel. Okay. Okay. I'll try that. Okay. Great. Great. So, okay. 
Okay. So what do you see so for the future of the Mars section? Uh, more surprises <laughs> as, <laughs> as we go along. I mean, it's, it's like, like well, after an apparition, you say, oh, yeah, we saw, saw for the first time this or that, you know. I don't know what else we're going to see. Well, just stick around and keep looking, or I mean, keep imaging, and bingo, you'll see see something new like the the CO2 uh, ice cap uh, in the south. That's polar, great. That's great. Stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it's and, and you know as as a, maybe maybe the cameras will keep improving and um, well, like there the one fellow in South Africa. He took a picture of the same region that that Hubble took a picture, and so he posted them side by side. And uh, I mean, his his was right there. I mean, it was right there. I mean, it's really good. That's um, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I envy him, but I'm glad that he's submitting it to the Mars Observers Group because because it really paid off for us big. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, is there any additional information you'd like to share about the Mars section? Well, there's always room for more images. I mean, um, you know. So, uh, and, and and like, I, I take I've been t- I took a number of images. I guess this last apparition, but my seeing conditions were weren't high, as high as it could have been. So I was enjoying working with other people's images that were, you know, really good. And so that's where, I, although, although even with poor seeing, though, I I did see the initial or, or record the initial dust clouds of of, uh, of a d- local dust storm once again originating in Hellas. <laughs> just keep an eye on that at region of Mars, and you're set, huh? <laughs> Uh, it's been, and I, I, I re- did record some, some dust clouds with film um, in the in the nineties, but uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe a Celestron Eleven would be would be a good start. That'd be be a good aperture and uh, and a good, well made telescope. That sounds uh, great. So. Well, Jim, how can, how can everybody get a hold of you? They have questions on Mars. Okay, um, let's see how can they get a hold of me. Oh, go to the um, go to the well, go to the Alpo homepage or the Associated Evolution Planetary Observe um, homepage, and um, you know, click on the Mars section on the left panel, and there you'll see uh, the Mars coordinator Roger Venable first. With, with a picture, and um, and then scroll down a little bit, and there there I'll be in a picture, and and my email address will be right underneath. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I will Thanks. add your email address to the show notes too, so people can, if they're listening to this and they have any questions on observing Mars, they can find you that way as well. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good. Specific questions would be welcome. Yeah. Well, Jim, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I enjoyed it. Great.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our guest, Jim Melka, for coming on and talking about the Great Mars section. Please check it out. As an update to episode 21 from last month, this is a time-sensitive information, so I apologize ahead of time for those of you that are listening to this after October 2017, but we have an ALPO convention in Athens, Georgia, coming up October 27th through 28th. If you plan on coming, now is the time to register. Information is available on the ALPO website. The conference is held as a part of the Georgia Regional Astronomical Meeting, they call it GRAM, G-R-A-M, at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. The weekend, like I said, October 27th and 28th, as stated above, there's no registration fee, and there's very minimal charge for the meal arrangements for the ALPO dinner. Amateur astronomers are especially urged to attend and participate in this event. While you're not, you're not required to give an oral presentation or submit a paper for display, please consider this is an excellent opportunity to enlighten other participants regarding your own recent astronomical activities. The ALPO board meeting will be at 2 p.m. on Friday the 27th in the Physics Building. An informal reception with light refreshments will follow later that afternoon, and then viewing through the 24-inch Fekker telescope, weather permitting, that night. The conference astronomy talks will be held from 9 to 5 p.m., on Saturday, October 28th, with a break with a free lunch. This sounds like a great event, people. In addition, poster presentations will be set up on tables just outside the conference room. There's no limit to the number of astronomy posters for display. And the grand finale for the weekend will be the ALPO Awards Dinner, beginning at 6.30 p.m. on the 28th at the nearby Georgia Center for the Continuing Education and Hotel. All who attend the event are also invited to attend the ALPO Awards Dinner, where official presentations of this year's ALPO Walter H. Haas Observers Award and the ALPO Peggy Haas Service Award will take place. Afterward, Dr. Loris McGinney, the Professor of Astronomy at UGA and the organizer of the Graham event, will be the keynote speaker. There's a $30 charge for attending the dinner. That's all there is for the entire week and just a charge for the one dinner. So please... We, we urge you, if you're in the area or want to travel to Athens, Georgia, for that beautiful uh, pre-Halloween pre, uh, weekend, please come on down and join us. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of astronomers. I'll be there. I'm coming all the way from California, so come on out and say hello. Just a reminder, we upload a new episode of Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link's in the show notes. And we're on Google Play and Stitcher, so anywhere you can download a podcast, we're there. If you can't find us where you download podcasts, drop me a note. You can support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel so generous to give up to $35 a month, you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And in saying that, I'd like to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you have comments or suggestions you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. That's at ObserversNB, the notebook, pod, P-O-D. If you want to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $14 a year. That's right, $14 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. 
You can also find the ALPO on Facebook just by searching ALPO Astronomy. And also, this here podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. The Observer, the ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, I hope I see you in October at the conference, and you also have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.